I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Converting the Versatile Value of Cover Cropping and Strip Till, is being brought to you by Dawn Equipment. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll look to get it added here as well. Thanks again to Dawn Equipment for sponsoring today's episode. The new Dawn Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit is the industry's first strip-till row unit with active row-by-row hydraulic down pressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Dawn Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic in-cab row cleaner adjustment, all with the same high speed and low power performance you've come to expect. You can call Dawn today and set up a demo of the new Pluribus at 800-554-0007. Again, that number is 800-554-0007. Well, while strip-till alone can dramatically improve soil structure and health, there are complementary practices that can provide additional value. Cover cropping is an increasingly popular pairing with an established strip-till system. The combination has been a profitable one for Lakefield, Minnesota farmer Jerry Ackerman, who added cover crops to his 1,200-acre strip-till operation about eight years ago. Through aggressive experimentation, Jerry has seen improved nitrogen retention reduced input costs, and increased yields. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Dawn Equipment, we welcome Jerry in to discuss how his evolving cover cropping methods have accelerated water infiltration and reduced reliance on herbicide applications. I actually started seven years ago with a a little one-quarter acre plot. Uh, our agronomist had extended egg services. I'd done some research and I thought this is something I want to do because I knew what the effects were after alfalfa. And I thought, well, you know, I've got one-third alfalfa, but by the time I get done rotating it back around, that's 15 years. And so I started asking around. Actually, I went, called up Ames, you know, and I, I asked him about cover cropping up in my area. And they said, well, you're north of Interstate 80. It doesn't work too well, but we're working on it. And I remember Andy Nessus said, if you really want to try this, I'll help you. We'll mark out a plot and we'll just use a hand seeder. And we did. And I remember this because we were also doing a test plot at that time with the University of Minnesota with the corn trials following alfalfa. And we'd just gotten done seeding it. And I seen Jeff Coulter and Mike Russell were out there. So I went out and talked to them. They said, oh, what are you up to today? I said, well, I just seeded a cover crop plot. And Michael Russell said, well, This is about the 10th of September. He said, up here where you're at, you need to be getting out there about August 15th to the 20th to get enough growth to do any good. And he was right. We did get a few things to grow, uh, but nothing like we wanted. And, of course, we work a lot with our watershed. I live three miles from Heron Lake, which is the biggest biggest body of water in southwest Minnesota. And Jan Boyd, who is the director, heard about this, and she said, if you want to try this, I'll write some grants and see if we can't get some things to try. And so she did. And uh, the reason I really wanted to do it is because our equipment is getting bigger. My gosh, my combine now has a 500 bushel grain tank, 
In southwest Minnesota, you haven't got a lot of time to horse around. When fall comes, you got to keep moving because Mother Nature can change on you. So sometimes we're out in that field when we shouldn't be. But what I'm finding is not only am I breaking up compaction, um, but we're also finding weed control and water infiltration control. Uh, this was actually the spring of 2013, and remember 2012, we were in a drought. In fact, some of the seed companies were saying, uh, don't plant a cover crop, you're wasting your money, it's not gonna grow. Well, uh, the watershed director says, look, I got this grant, they wanna know results, good or bad. So we flew it on, and we had to have a field day, that was one of the things the watershed did. And I suppose we had 25 or 30 people, and I remember we were out here walking around in this field, and if they saw one blade of green, they were excited. But what was amazing, we used cereal rye as our base on that, and we had some turnips and radishes in it, but it come the next spring. Not the greatest stand, but for our area, 2013 was the exact opposite of 2012. We were drowning. This was my last field of corn that I planted, and I actually mudded it in. I, planted, I packed that planter so tight with mud three times, it took a whole day to plant 40 acres. But I got it in, and of course, it started raining. Now with all this rain, we didn't get our pre-plant herbicide down. And of course, it started getting green, the rye kept growing. Actually, I finally told the co-op, you just gotta get out and spray this. It's in the boot stage almost, and we're gonna have a heck of a time killing it. Well, finally it dried enough, they said, okay, we'll do it, but they're gonna leave some tracks, and they were right. We had tracks out there a foot deep in places. But the amazing thing about this was, what really came about is in the fall at harvest time. And uh, of course, the yield maps always tell a story. And it always takes a one year to find out what you did the previous year. And of course, we didn't get our pre-emerge herbicide on, so we used Roundup to clean up, kill a rye. And we did, we're using all Liberty corn, so we came through and did give it a shot at Liberty and cleaned it up. But come harvest time, Nancy normally runs our combine, but I remember that day she had to do something with her mother, I believe it was, or something. So I was running a combine. I took the endros off, and as I'm going along, I'm looking down the field, and the part that did not have the cover crop had scattered water hemp all over, and I thought, great, now i got to put up with this next year in the soybeans. But when I got to where that cover crop was, it was just clean as a whistle. And I've noticed this time and before. Cereal rye will prevent weeds from growing, and uh, so I took the endros off and started combining there down by the road on the lower end of that picture. But when I got up to where the cover crop had been, I had just dumped, and of course it's a short, narrow field, so I could make about three rounds there. And one of the guys brought out a semi and parked it and jumped in the combine, and I was telling him, I said, look over there, scattered water hemp all over. Over there, no water hemp. I think we're gonna be using our cover crop for some weed control. And of course, I just finished the last pass where the cover crop had not been, got into where it was, and I said, just amazing, and I'm still looking over at the water hemp. And he said, uh, you better take a look at your yield monitor, just jumped 25 bushel an acre. And I know what happened here. Uh, we were so doggone wet, we couldn't get in and kill that cover crop. In fact, I was worried because I'm in this narrow strip in the center of the United States where you're supposed to kill it uh, at least a week ahead of planting and I couldn't get it done. I went into NRCS to see if I was out of compliance. And he said, no, you had good intentions. We realize that, it's just the weather. Um, so you're okay on that. That's one issue I have with RMA. Uh, you people that are out here in Illinois and Indiana and Ohio, you got a lot more leeway. And I said, well, why can't we have that where I'm at? 
He says, it's guys in South Dakota, they can kill five crops a year. I said, oh, okay, whatever. But uh, in this instance, what happened is the cereal rye was sucking up extra moisture and it got that corn growing better. Just down there where you see no cover crop, it was printed grounding and it shows up on the yield map. And of course, being in Southwest Minnesota, uh, most generally, we have to seed into a standing crop. If you're going to seed after you combine soybeans, it's probably going to be straight cereal rye with a drill. But the problem is, is getting somebody to run it. It's like anywhere else in the country, find qualified people to help you. Uh, so we're normally flying on our cover crop in soybeans. Uh, we are getting some high clearance seeders, which we'll talk about shortly, and I do like them. And again, the next year, we were lucky enough to be invited down to Omaha uh, about three, four years ago, and that's where I met Ray Archuleta. And uh, just a great place there. They had a lot of good speakers. And uh, I'm sitting there having breakfast one morning, and, and I happened to be talking to the guy next to me, and I said, well, our biggest problem, you know, is trying to get this cover crop on, and we have to go into standing crop. He said, well, I'm from Canada. We're doing it up there all the time. He said, we interceded in our corn early. I said, really? It's kind of intriguing. And as we thought about this, I thought, well, you know, it's like Mr. Sanderson said yesterday, <clears throat> you want to hedge your bets. You want to be able to have options. And of course, I thought of this, and I, and I asked Ray Archuleta, I said, I'd like to try that. Could you help me out on that? He says, yeah. And he came up with a mix on that. And uh, we were actually going to, the local co-op said they were getting a row gator with a dry, dry spinner box. He said, we'll mix some uh, fertilizer with agritane. And uh, he said, we'll spread it that way. I thought, well, that's good. And of course, we were wet that spring. In fact, we had three and a half inches of rain. And there was actually two other cooperators uh, working with the watershed. And of course, NRCS heard about this. So they wanted in on it. RMA wanted in on it. They wanted to get the information since we had three different people doing it. And uh, Extension wanted in on it too. And they wanted to have a field day. And I said, that's fine. So we got the mix and seeded it. And Ray said, uh, well, okay, you're doing side dressing. He said, why don't you leave one strip out where you don't side dress so you can compare? And we did, and it shows right up on the yield map. But what really surprised me is where we had the cover crop and our normal practices, we actually gained five bushel an acre. <clears throat> and the one thing about this, in 2013, I actually uh, took some prevented plant, and there was a spot in this field right down in here I couldn't even get planted. And of course, the co-op didn't have their dry box, well, Dave Christopher, one of the other cooperators, said, well, I got a three-point seeder, maybe we can get this calibrated, and that's how we did it. Well, the three-point seeder couldn't make a half-mile round, so we started in the middle, and filled it up, went to one end, back to the middle, fill him up again. And I was telling Dave, I said, that spot had prevented plant. I mean, the water was printed setting on the ground last year. I said, just drive down there with that 4430. When the wheels sink, just back around. So we loaded him up. Dave's going down the field, and gets going, and I'm thinking, well, gal, he's going to be stopping pretty soon. By golly, Dave turned around, and he come back. And we had Phil Cedar again, and I said, I can't believe you went through that. He said, well, evidently your cover crop worked, but on that other end, I got tire tracks a foot deep. So he said, I think your cover crop did the job. And I thought, that's amazing. That gave us enough confidence in 2015, we interceded all of our corn at the V4 to V6 stage. 
And it just happened, I was actually gonna do it with a dry box spreader, and uh, back to the way I was thinking, because what else have you got? I didn't like the three-point cedar. This is Bruce Brunk from Rushmore, Minnesota. And Bruce had just purchased a Pennsylvania interseeder, and I looked it over and I thought, boy, that's kind of different. It actually kind of reminds me of the old tie drill I had years ago. But it does have a little extra clearance. You can side dress some if you want. And we actually seeded annual rye at 12 pounds. Uh, we used uh, a pound of turnips, a pound of radishes, a pound of rape, and I thought, well, I've used annual rye before in the fall, and I haven't ever gotten enough growth to survive. All these seminars and conferences I go to, they're telling me keep a living root in the ground. And I thought, well, what am I going to do if I use crimson clover? That probably is not going to make it. So we put two pounds of medium red clover in there. And I really like this because we use uh, Roundup to burn down our cover crop, put down a half rate of harness, and then we'll come back and side dress at about the V4, V5 stage, hit it with uh, Liberty, get it cleaned up, and then we seed. One thing about it, this Pennsylvania interseeder does put it in the ground. That cover crop was up in three days. And of course, here it is in September, got a pretty nice stand. But the one thing you notice, you get that clean and get that cover in there, once it grows, you have no weeds. Uh, we're kind of using it as a weed control right now. Uh, another thing about this, uh, <clears throat> we had a, uh, a field day last year with the University of Minnesota. Actually, they had the test plot. And uh, they rented a few acres along this highway and everything. And I did it right where our corn and soybeans met so we could have cover crops, different seedings, different mixes and everything. And we got ours in, Bruce was there, and I called up the university. I said, say, it's time to get this on. We're at V5 already. And he said, oh, we've got our own cedar. We, we'll bring it down, we'll do it. Well, they horsed around for another couple of weeks. And this is already at the V8 stage probably. And, and he called me up and he said, say, you suppose that guy would come back and seed that? I said, well, you know, he's 16 miles away. He'll probably charge the heck out of you. And I, but, you know, he may do it. And he did come back. But what they seeded later did not do very well. It got growing, not the best, uh, but ours was way ahead. And that annual rye has the ability to survive in the shade, where if you use cereal rye, it would die for lack of sunlight. But it gets that quick growth, and then it kind of goes dormant through the summer until the corn dries down. And as you can see in September, that's really starting to take off. Now, one thing about their field day, they were going to charge people. I thought, this is nuts. The University of Minnesota, we're taxpayers. We pay for that. Well, we got to charge for the meal. We ain't got any money. We're going to charge $10. I thought, yeah, right. Who in the heck are you going to get to show up? Be danged if they didn't get 128 people there, which they weren't planning on that many. So they said, well, we're going to split up into four stations, Jerry, you and Jerry Perkins, and Dave Christopher and him, you talk about what you've been doing. Over here, we're going to talk about it in soybeans. Over there, we're going to talk about interseeding. And then they set up a rain simulator. And they actually come in, they dig out the soil, they got these pans, they go about that deep and undercut it. And then they elevate them pans. I think you saw the demonstrations yesterday. And of course, uh, they had such a big group. Well, we're going to divide them up into four groups and rotate them. And I didn't get to see the rain simulator, but a couple of friends of mine have been doing uh, the cover crops along with a few other of, of us in the area. Uh, Brian and Terry Post, he said, if you didn't see that rain simulator, uh, and he said, there's no way it can't make you a believer in cover crops. 
He said, I actually watched this, and Stephanie McLean with NRCS out of Nobles County was running it, and you have to know Stephanie, she can go talk about 100 miles an hour. He said they started out at a half inch per hour, then they turned it up to an inch, and they'd actually went across the road, talked to the neighbor, got the same exact soil type with conventional tillage, no cover crops, and he said she started talking, and he said pretty soon the water started to run through yours to the pale below, but the one beside it, a little bit ran through, but then he said it all started going off the front. And he said, uh, then she turned it up to an inch an hour, and he said it was getting muddy and everything, and, that other, and he said yours, the water just kept going straight through. So he said, I, we rotated the other two spots, and I got around to where you're talking, and he said, I've heard your story a hundred times, you know, how great cover crops are and what they all do for you. So I went back there. I thought, I wonder how long the water's going to run through that. He said it was still running through there, and she talked about 10 minutes each time, so he said that's got to be an hour's worth of rain running continuously through that there, and he said it was still going through. This year, of course, I said we were wet. I had Bruce lined up to drill it in, uh, wasn't able to get there on time, the corn was growing, I was nervous. So the pilot we'd used, uh, he said, well, I've spread annual rye, you've got to do a little bit different, so we flew on it on. Uh, this was taken July 15th. I'm a little bit nervous. I'd like to see a lot more growth. Uh, one thing, it got flown on and we got rain right away, which helps. Uh, this year we threw in uh, some, you can see the clover growing, the radishes, and of course the annual rye. Um, one thing on this field, we had been to a seminar where Jamie Scott was talking over at Clark's Grove and they were talking about the benefits of buckwheat. Nancy says, I want to try some buckwheat. Well, so we threw a pound in this. I didn't know if it's going to last in the shade or not, but it's growing. Actually, uh, you can see the buckwheat right up in here. And I was just out there a few days before we came down here. It's flowering. Maybe it'll do fine in the shade. I don't know. Uh, you can see in the end rows where they, they turn around with the sprayers and stuff, it gets a little more light. That really takes off. And I think it's important if you're interceding early uh, to get that in at that B4 to B5 stage and get that early growth. This was the results of that. Uh, this is October 10th, 2015. It was seeded on 614 that year. Uh, kind of amazing when Nancy would come to the end with that combine and lift them snouts up. All of them had green hanging on them. And uh, it was kind of amazing. One thing I cannot believe, Pheasants Forever and Ducks Unlimited are not behind this practice. I mean, every field we got to the last round she would trace anywhere from 20 to 40 pheasants out of there. And our pheasant population has been down. In fact, on this field, the last round, she chased a coyote out. And then she came back with the last pass, and here the coyote was back in there again, and he ran out and kind of looked at her like he ruined my lunch, and he trotted off, so. <clears throat> but it's, uh, the other thing with purple top turnips, I don't know if any of you are deer hunters, they just love purple top turnips. I know one farm, we had a big buck up there every morning eating, and I don't know how many calls I got. Can I hunt that? Can I hunt that? And I said, well, when my daughter gets done with it, you can. Now this field, when we got done, this field went 193.6 bushels per acre, and I actually thought I'd kill the cover crop on those endros. I mean, they're flat. You couldn't see nothing green. This is about a week later, kind of greened up. And uh, it actually, in another week or so after that, you couldn't hardly see the cornrows anymore. And uh, of course, we kept going and we got done and everything like that. Let's go on to the next slide. This is actually that same fall. We, I was a little peeved about the 
our co-op not getting our strip tilling done and I'd went to town on a Friday morning and we had between seven and nine inches of rain that week so I thought strip tilling's done. But when I was driving home I noticed the end rows in this field. Notice where the truck tracks are? And I'm driving along even where guys did tillage you could see the water standing all the way over to the driveway where them semis drove out. I thought yeah there's some long-term compaction there probably. And then we had to go down to Lake Park, Iowa to pick up some parts. We drove by this field, and I thought, every field I look at on the end rows, there's water standing. There's no water standing there. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I started going around to every field where our semis had been parked and where they drove out the driveway. We had no water standing. So that cover crop did its job about opening that ground up, and it actually did my tillage for me. Not only did I get good weed control, but I got good water control also. Now here's the spring of 2016, same field, and this spot right over here is an, it's split in two 80s and building sites off to the right there, but there's a few end rows there, it's planted already. And I happened to drive by and I thought, what the heck? Right where the end rows are, of course that's where compaction is from turning around, but look at where the water stops, right where that cover crop is. So it's still doing its job today. This is our early spring growth. This was taken in March. And one thing we'd included at medium red clover, and I was actually a little bit disappointed because in that fall, I'd go out, see all this stuff growing, the rape, the turnips, the radishes, and the rye, of course, and I thought, I put two pounds on there. That's about six and a half bucks an acre. Where the heck is my medium red clover? I maybe see one over here and one over there. And I thought, well, okay, here comes spring, and I went out there. It looks like I seeded eight pounds of medium red clover. I don't know where it all came from, but it sure come on great in the spring. The only thing about it, if you're using rape in a mix, we found out uh, you do have to put a little 2,4-D ester in with it, because straight Roundup does not kill rape very well. The other part of it was it burned that medium red clover about half down, and of course, we're out there looking before we're planting soybeans. We had a lot of time to look at all the rain we had up there. And Nancy says, okay, smart guy, uh, you killed off the rape. That red clover is about half dead. You got a legume and you're planting a legume. What are you going to use for a herbicide? And I thought, well, I don't know. But as it went along, it did die. So that's one thing. You have to be a little careful with the herbicide you're using. You also have to do your homework with the herbicide you're using. This was uh, actually before we even planted corn. This was starting to take off. And uh, what happened is we're wet, so I'm leaving it grow to soak up that extra moisture. By the time I planted soybeans, when we have a John Deere 1590 drill, and I don't have auto steer in that tractor. So first time across the field, normally I just follow the rows. The stock stompers pushing flat, okay, there's where I pull in eight rows. I turned around. I thought, I better use my marker, and I turned around and I thought, huh, there's got to be a mark here somewhere. I've seen some mud flying up off of the marker. Oh, yeah, there it is, way up there. Boy, I had to lock onto that and watch it all the way to the other end. I actually did get lost a couple times because we're coming back after the beans come up, and Nancy says, well, what's this gap over here? Well, I lost my mark. Uh, we're certainly going to look at having auto steer in that tractor in the future. Uh, this actually is an 80 acres I picked up uh, April 1st on 2015 and we had flown cereal rye onto it and I knew it was wet. It's been in our family. My grandfather owned it. A different relative had been farming it. <coughs> and uh, it was supposed to be strip tilled. Well, it was so wet, 
I thought, I just rotated out 100 acres alfalfa, so I'm going to have an extra 100 acres of corn. I think I'll go back to beans. And I waited till the last field. That cereal rye was up to the axles on that 4850 John Deere. And, and I kind of looked at that and, well, okay, we've done this before. Maybe not quite this big, but the neighbor here across the road, he's been watching it and everything. And he came out there and he says, are you always planting and stuff this big? I says, oh, yeah, we do it all the time. I finally told him, no, I actually did this on purpose. But to be honest with you, this is a wet area. I would have never gotten those soybeans planted without that cover crop there. I actually did have to go back and plant about three, four acres. It was just so wet on that. There's kind of a slope there, and the water just seeps out. It just drowned it. We did replant a little bit. It did come up beautiful. People drove by an awful lot looking at the tall brown rye, because this was sprayed about a day before I drilled it. And uh, it's just amazing. You see them little green rows coming like that. Uh, this, was, this is actually, I think, that same field. And one of the things, I do sell cover crop seed. And a lot of times people will say, well, I don't want to put it in my beans. What if it grows too much and I can't combine it? Or it's going to plug my combine. I have never seen that happen up where I'm at. Uh, the cereal rye gets established in the fall. And I tried to take a picture here. That was actually five to six inches tall when we combined. Uh, I should have laid on my belly because as Nancy drove by, it was comical, the cereal rye would lay down. And these new contour master heads, I mean, they just lay on the ground, cut that bean stubble about that tall. But when she went by, it would just stand right up. So it, it's doing its job there. Uh, actually, I was at a seminar where Jamie Scott was speaking a few years ago. And he showed a bean field that looked like a golf course where they'd combine. And he said, we were wet that fall. If we would have not had that rye growing, we would have never got those trucks in and out of the field. We'll get back to Jerry's discussion shortly, but I wanted to again thank our sponsor, Dawn Equipment, for making this podcast possible. The new Dawn Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit is the industry's first strip-till row unit with active row-by-row hydraulic downpressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Dawn Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic in-cab row cleaner adjustment, all with the same high speed and low power performance you've come to expect. You can call Don today and set up a demo of the new Pluribus at 800-554-0007. Again, that's 800-554-0007. And another reminder, if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. Let's jump back into the program now and hear more from Jerry Ackerman on the benefits of cover cropping for offsetting compaction. If you've got livestock, this is amazing. Uh, this is a young guy that he doesn't have a lot of ground, but he's got 228 cows. He started with one acre, 20 acres the first year. Uh, the second year, he did all of his acres uh, seeded with a cover crop. and. Uh, he said, I'm going to do it a little different. They were just ready to, he had 100 acres, and he had uh, divided it into three sections. He said, I shouldn't have let him eat it down to the dirt before I moved it. But the amazing thing was, he brought those 228 cows in off a of pasture, and of course, where they chop, once that gets the sunlight, it just takes off. 
And uh, his dad seen me in a local restaurant uh, after New Year's one time, and he had to come over, and he said, you know, I really like what that kid's doing. He said, we brought them cows home, and we haven't fed them a thing till after New Year's. Now, they figure it takes 80 cents a day to feed a cow. Uh, I haven't done the math exactly, but at 80 cents times 228 cows times 60 days, that's quite a feed bill savings. And uh, just as a side note here, yesterday I was at one of the roundtable sessions and a guy came in and sat down next to me and, and uh, kind of got talking and I said, oh, are you using cover crops? Oh yeah, he said, we got cows. He said, I've been using cover crops for 30 years except we called it feed back then. We didn't call it a cover crop. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and of course, I talked a little bit yesterday about Randy Wurtzma and his ho injected hog manure. But when we were at Omaha, there were so many good speakers and everything, so I and Nancy split up, so she'd go listen to one guy, I'd listen to another. And one of the seminars I sat in on was put on by Michigan State. And they had had all the numbers and pictures and everything, and he said, if you're putting on hog manure, or any manure, without a cover crop, he said, I guarantee you, you're losing 40 pounds of N right off the top, and probably closer to 60, 80, because you put this on, inject it in the fall, and of course you get some fall rains, it starts moving down through the soil profile. And he said then, we got winter, of course it's froze. But then you got the snow melt, it goes down a little bit further, you get a few rains maybe before you plant. Uh, then you get it planted and you still get some rains. And each time you get a rain, it moves down a little further. And the corn is growing to catch up to it. And he said there's a certain amount that your corn cannot ever get to that leaches away. But by using a cereal rye, which is a great scavenger of nitrogen, that grabs a hold of that end and it holds it up at the surface. Now, University of Minnesota has told me if you want the biggest return on your end, you kill your cereal rye at 8 to 12 inches because then it starts releasing that end back to the following crop in 30 to 45 days. Now, there's times I leave it grow longer, taller because of wet. There's times I'll kill it earlier. If it's a dry spring and it looks like we're going into a drought, I'll kill it early. I don't want it sucking any more moisture. I talked a little bit about compaction, and I'm always worried about it. This is one of my neighbors, and he's strictly corn and soybeans. Now I know where he parks them semis, they're never right by the road, but look at there, and then all of a sudden it gets bigger. And of course, I'm delivering alfalfa all the time, so I set a little higher, and you can start looking at these fields, and you can see the trail where the semis or the big heavy wagons go to the driveway to get out on the highway. And I thought, wow. And some fields are worse than others, um, but it really showed up this year with the wet spring. So I got to looking around at my fields. This was that field I'd showed you where we did the strip tilling and got kind of cloudy. It was done in the spring. Two years ago, we had a heck of a corn crop there. I did not see that dip in the end rows. So that cover crop has taken care of my compaction. Uh, one thing about it, we do try to use always a mixture of at least three, sometimes four cover crops. And I spoke over at uh, Worthington, Minnesota at the college there a couple of years ago, and Dan Lehrer, who runs the research farm up in North Dakota, was telling how in 2012 they did cover crop uh, test plots. But they actually did single species of the turnips, the radishes, the rape, the sunflowers, the sun hemp, and he had about 20 of them. And then they started doing some mixes, and he said when we got to the end, all the seed we had left, we threw together and we planted it. He said it was so dry, the single species mixes all died. But anything that had more than two 
were doing well. And he said the one that had everything thrown together, it looked great. So there's something happening when you mix more than one species. I don't know what it is, I'm not the expert, but I've found using at least three and four sometimes is better. Now there's coming up with concoctions. I've got a couple of guys that grow wheat up there. I think we've got 10 or 12 different species in there, most of them producing in, but also a few that are retaining in. Uh, in fact, Bruce Brunk uh, with a high clearance drill, he's actually putting his cover crop in and some of it is to produce nitrogen, some of it is a scavenger nitrogen, because now he's going in RTK and he's strip tilling in his hog manure. I think he's gonna have one heck of a corn crop next year. Uh, and then you got, if you're gonna do these cover crops, how are you gonna do it? Remember, I've done it with a three-point seeder. It's not the greatest, sometimes I have to do it. And of course, I said, we have to go into a standing crop because uh, we just don't have the season up there to go in afterwards. And you can, I'm not saying that. I got a couple guys that go in with a no-till drill and drill straight cereal rye. Uh, one thing we've discovered, uh, we actually had to back up our seeding date a little bit on soybeans. You wanna see about a 20% leaf drop when you seed it. And I think yesterday when I spoke, I said, notice there wasn't a cover crop there. Well, the problem is with these airplanes up in our area, they're always spraying aphids or they're spraying sweet corn or this or that. So when they switch over to their airplanes, they want to do everybody at once. And uh, of course, there's several of us, we get together, we've got a private airstrip we use normally, and, uh, and uh, we do everybody at once. Well, Nancy has her farms and I have mine. She had to plant a 2.4 maturity soybean because she wanted to yield me. And uh, so I put in a 2.2, I thought I'm gonna hang in there. We had a few yellow leaves, but not much leaf drop. And I thought, well, I'll probably be all right. We seeded it with cereal rye, a normal mix, cereal rye, radishes, rape, and uh, it grew. It got about, oh, that tall. But when we got there to combine, it didn't get enough light soon enough, and it gave up and died. Sure, where I didn't get the drill in the ground 10 feet, beautiful stand. But you gotta be careful about when you're seeding and how you're seeding and do a little homework with that. Uh, one year we used a helicopter. That's pretty neat. I mean, they can land that thing on the road. They got what they call a bucket. It's actually a, a, a spinner box there that has a Honda motor on it and their GPS. The problem with that, he charges $30 an acre. I mean, it's just not cost effective. And of course, <clears throat> I remember Jamie Scott telling me, he said, you can tell a pilot things, but you're not gonna tell him much because he's a pilot and he knows what he's gonna do. Uh, our pilot we had lined up had, a, uh, they call it an ag cat, like this yellow one. Unfortunately, he'd been spraying or something. He'd come down and he miscalculated. He hooked the tip of his wing on the corner of a pickup. Couldn't even see he did anything. Knocked him a half inch out of kilter. He got up in the air, he couldn't turn left. He could turn right, but he couldn't turn left. So he calls and says, uh, I can't do your cover crops. My plane's out of commission. Uh, I always say I have a backup plan because we line up the planes and the cedars for our customers. I was on the phone for five hours. I think I have a list of 34 to 36 pilots and they all said, we're busy spraying aphids or we're doing sweet corn as soon as we can, we'll give you a call. If you can get somebody else, great. Well, I ended up getting this pilot. Um, he flies out of Sioux Center, Iowa in Yankton, South Dakota and one of the other pilots that had sprayed for us said, well, that's a big plane and it's loud. He wasn't kidding. That thing has a 65-foot wingspan, uh, 1,180 horsepower, and that's a true turbine, so it's almost wide open all the time. And uh, 
the one thing about it, he can carry a 3,000 pound payload, so he can do a lot of acres. Nice guy and everything. The problem was, I got a lot of my cover crop about 10 to 15 rows into my neighbors. And I'm thinking, okay. Now the young guy we've got now, he used to be an instructor, uh, real conscientious. He actually flew on our cover crops early at the V4, 5, 6 stage. He came back two weeks later to check his spread, and he does the end rows first. That's very important because the end rows is where you need that cover crop the most. That's where that compaction is. This here is uh, Brian Bigler out of Lake Wilson, Minnesota, and, and I met Brian actually uh, a year before, and I was speaking at the college up at Marshall, Minnesota, and we got talking over lunch and everything about this, and, the, and I was talking about the high clearance cedars I've seen down here in Illinois and Indiana. And he called me about January. He says, see, you think a guy could make that into a business? I said, well, I don't know, Bruce. I sell seed, you know, I can recommend you and everything. And he said, well, I was thinking of getting a high boy sprayer anyway, but that might be a way to make it pay a little more. And of course, we talked two, three times going into spring. Well, Brian bought it. He got about 250,000 lined up in that Hagee high boy and another 30,000 in the airbox and the boom and stuff. And, and uh, I had 1,000 acres lined up for him last year. I do like this because you're getting the corn down in a canopy. Uh, it's inside your fence lines. Uh, I have had people say, you know, the airplane, it's all going to get caught in the leaves. It was kind of interesting because this same year, uh, Nobles County NRCS got some one-foot squares of cardboard to check on the spread patterns between a high-clearance cedar and the airplane. A lot of guys were scared to use this. They said, well, I don't know, he could run down a lot of corn. But they put those skinny tires on there, and them things turn a square corner. Uh, I actually rode with him. I could see where the co-op ran on some of my rows when they were spraying, uh, but he'd just zip right down there about seven, eight miles an hour. But the funny thing was, the pattern between this high clearance cedar and where the airplane was on these cardboard, they'd spray them with a 3M adhesive, really wasn't that much different. In fact, then after we had flown it on, they went out, put down some fresh cardboard strips, and actually shook the corn to see how much cover crop seed was coming out of them leaves. Not much. You might find one or two specks on there. So uh, we're finding some things. Uh, these are good. Actually, let's go on to the next slide. Uh, of course, there's another method. You can do the drill. Not too many people do that afterwards. It's more early. Uh, here's another method right here. This happens to be Henniker Manufacturing, and they called me up, oh, I don't know, probably February or March, and said, say we hear you're doing that interceding early. We're building a prototype. Uh, we'd like to come out and get a few acres on it. You think you could find some? I said, well, yeah, I'll do a little calling around. And uh, they brought it out. Uh, they got a nice little wheel on there that meters it, so if you go faster, it dumps more, you slow down, it does more. And it's a prototype. They had a few things they need to change. The funny thing was, uh, about April, he calls me and he said, see, we're coming along. I said, yeah, how's it going? Well, we've got to do this and this yet. It's about ready. And we got talking, and he said, do you think you have some acres? I said, oh, yeah, about 800. It got real quiet on the other end of the line. I think he was looking for 50 or 60. <laughs> As it turned out, they did not get it there when they were supposed to. We had some other people uh, that did some of their own, and we flew on some. So we did get a couple hundred acres on it, I believe. Uh, and not only that, sometimes I think I heard someone else talk about in the spring. We've actually seeded cover crops early. This happened to be that 80 acres I picked up on April 1st of 2015. 
and it was black. And of course, the neighbor, I know him well, he's kind of cussing, he says, yeah, every time it blows, that field's up on my deck and it's all mud and everything else. So I went and got some peas and oats and put it in there early. Of course, he had to walk out there. He says, what the heck are you doing? I said, I'm drilling peas and oats. Well, how come? And his name's Verlin. I said, Verlin, I heard you complaining about that dirt up on your deck. I said, as long as I farm this farm, you're never going to see it blow again. Yeah, right, I got to see this, he said. Uh, but so there's options, and you always got to keep your options open. Uh, this is a guy I met. Uh, Tom Cotter out of Arston, Minnesota. I actually met him down at the No-Till Convention. We went over to Clark's Grove, Minnesota earlier this year. They were actually going to demonstrate interseeders and strip-till machines. Of course, it rained. Couldn't demonstrate. We had the meeting in a guy's shop. But Tom's kind of an innovator. And we got to visiting, and he says, well, I got my cedar out here. We went out there. Tom says, yeah, I had this 12-row cultivator. wasn't using. I had an old John Deere 400 rotary hoe I wasn't using, and he said, I found this air box on the sale, and I got to thinking, that'd make a heck of an interceder. He's used that a couple of years now. He says, I can go eight, nine miles an hour interceding. One problem, he says, I switched to 16 row. I said, what'd you do then? Went to the machine shop and got a longer tube and not another tube. He says, now I have a 16 row that can, can go eight or nine miles an hour. So these farmers are getting pretty innovative. Uh, actually, Dave Kristoff, a friend of mine, he said, um, you know, it looks like it's better to interseed in this corn early. Uh, he said, I got an old crust buster drill. He said, I'm going to remove a couple of them disc openers, put some disc between there. He says, yeah, it'll probably work. And he did. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of innovation by farmers. This here is a tribute to Ray Archuleta. Remember, we did that test plot earlier. And uh, of course, Ray flew in. And we had to move our field day date back in November. I think it was about the 10th or 12th. It's about 20 degrees, 20 mile an hour wind, and they wanted soil pits, and I thought, well, people aren't gonna come out to this field, so we had it at the local Legion Hall, and of course, people heard it was Ray Archuleta, so it was packed. And they put on the, the advertisements, come prepared to go to the field, and I thought, yeah, right, you might get a couple people drive out there. But Ray is a pretty dynamic person and a dynamic speaker, did a great job, he said, okay, you people, get your cover hauls on. We're going out to that field. And it looked like the biggest funeral I've ever seen with all them cars going out of town. And we got out there, and be danged if he didn't have 60 or 70 people out there turning blue with their Carhartt cover hauls on. And, of course, Ray lost his socking cap. Somebody felt sorry for him because his nose was red and his ears were turning blue. But Ray had told me when I picked him up at the airport next morning, we ate breakfast. He said, drive me around to some of your farms. And we did, and we're kind of talking about different cover crops and what I'd been trying. And, and he said, I see you carry a spade in your pickup. I says, yeah, I'm always digging around looking for this or that. He said, well, go over to your fence line where the grass is really growing nice. And he said, when you pick it up, a spadeful, it should look like cottage cheese and just fall apart. And I thought about that. Well. This was the next spring, and uh, I remember because Lauren Clark from NRCS in our county called up, and he said, say, Jerry, how'd you like to do this Haney test? I said, okay, what's it cost? Well, nothing, but you got to do it for five years on a field you're going to have cover crops. I said, well, as long as you're paying for it, I don't care. So we drove out to this field. In fact, the frost wasn't even out yet, and I remember Brian Stephan, the trainee, he's bottom guy on a totem pole. He's got to run the probe, and he goes out, and he shoves it in, and he says, whoa. And I said, what do you mean, whoa? Well, he said, there's nothing there till I hit the frost at about 10 inches. It just slid right in. So I walked over, and I got the spade out, and I pulled it up. And there it is, 
that cottage cheese look. That field had not had a cover crop on it. That was the first year. And I've been doing the no-till and the strip-till now for, who knows, 16, 18, 20 years. But the cover crops are what's really turning things around and turning them around fast. Uh, I really like what I'm seeing. Well, thank you, Jerry, for sharing your lessons learned and successes with incorporating cover crops into your strip-till system. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Dawn Equipment, and the new Pluribus Strip-Till Road Unit for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262 777-2441. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill F-A-R-M-R and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on December 15th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series and a reminder that you can still register to receive our brand new Strip-Till Farmer print newsletter at striptillfarmer.com. For Jerry Ackerman, Dawn Equipment, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.